If the Lord helps, what I want to talk about today, what's on my heart is um, I want to address the topic for the joy that is set before us. For the joy that is set before us. And uh, my text will come from Hebrews 11 and 12. And I was, I was thinking before I came in here, I, I thought, man, I really need to read all of that. And that's a lengthy scripture reading. And we have, we have this tendency to apologize about lengthy scripture readings. And I had kind of gotten past that, and then the brother talked about services that go too long. <laughs> and I know he wasn't saying anything, but you know what? We, we do kind of need to get over that, because we hear in Nehemiah that when, when the wall of Jerusalem had been rebuilt and the people of God came together to celebrate, he called forth Ezra to read from the scroll. And Ezra read from the law... He read from the law. From morning to midday. Now, depending, you know, for us, morning, we would think of that uh, being between 8 and 9 o'clock to noon. Well, noon would have still been midday, but it doesn't say in Nehemiah exactly what part in the morning, but they were all early risers. This could have been 6 a.m. when they started reading. So anywhere from 3 or four hours to six hours, the people stood, stood on their feet to hear the reading of the law. Then the Levites started preaching and explaining it to the people. They read scripture for three to six hours, and the people praised God for it. And now we have in our culture a... a, Y'all don't necessarily know all my history. The, the Lord called me to preach and called me out of a tradition that I was in. I was a music minister in, in a United Methodist church for 12 years. And part of doing that was planning out our services where the preacher knew that he needed to keep his sermon to like 25 minutes because then we lose people's attention. If I go a a little longer than 25 minutes, y'all will forgive me. Because if I go longer than 25 minutes and the Lord's with me, me, then the Lord will keep your attention. Uh, Oh, I know. But but that's the culture that we live in, where people feel like they need to uh, do what is necessary to engage the crowd. How about trust the Lord and let the Lord engage the crowd? So that's what we're going to try to do today. And I'm not going to apologize for reading a chapter and a half of Scripture. That's the long and short of all that. uh, But it was kind of funny the way that worked out. But Hebrews chapter 11. And this is going to be uh, a a familiar section of Scripture to us. But if the Lord helps, maybe we'll gain something new from it today. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, He being dead, yet speaketh. 
By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see, excuse me, that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians... which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. 
by faith. The harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, for whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto him, unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I'll end there for now. Let's take just a moment to let some of that soak in. We've, we've read it before, but have we really meditated on it? <clears throat> Chapter 11 is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. But so many times when I've heard it talked about, what I hear spoken of is the people. Almost as if to encourage, and and not that this is a bad thing, but almost as to encourage people to be more like Abraham and Enoch 
and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of the folks that are named there because weren't they such heroes of the faith? You should have faith like them. Look at the marvelous things that they did. But as I read it, and I tried to read it this way, I don't know if it came across, but, but as you read it, the centerpiece of chapter 11 is not the people. The centerpiece of chapter 11 is faith. Every verse starts by faith, by faith, by faith, through faith. So let's look at it again, look at it again through those eyes. And as I said before, my topic for today is for the joy that is set before us. And just the I'll come back to chapter 11 shortly, as long as we remember that the central figure there is faith. But in chapter 12, in chapter 12, we see that start out, Wherefore, for this reason, seeing all that we've set aside, seeing all that we've brought forth in in the preceding chapter, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, that's every burden, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Patience can also be endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance meaning let us not give up. Keep running. Keep running. Run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Still haven't gotten to where I want to go to, but the author and finisher of our faith. Keep in mind chapter 11, the central theme is faith. Faith. But Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and this is another way of saying that. He created the faith, he started the faith, and he is the end of faith. He is both the start and the finish, the originator and the ender. So when we tell people, oh, you need to have more faith, we're asking them to do the impossible. Because, see, Jesus is the author of faith. I can't fabricate faith. I can pray for faith. But only the Lord can give faith. We see that time and time again in Scripture. A man brought his crippled son to Jesus and said, if you can do anything, actually wasn't crippled, he's demon-possessed, but brought his ill child to Jesus said if you can do anything will you help him and the Lord chastised him you know rebuked him lightly and said what do you mean if I can do anything anything is possible you who believe and he says Lord I believe but help my unbelief Lord I have faith but not enough give me more you've given me some give me more Jesus is the author of faith he is the one who plants faith within us Peter's great confession, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is, this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood. But this faith was given to you by God. So we know that faith, that central figure of chapter 11, is not something that we can conjure up. We need not look at at the people used as illustrations in chapter 11 as something we need to live up to as though they are role models and we need to have faith like they had. We need to see them as witnesses of the great faith that the Lord can provide. 
because faith, of whom Jesus is the, both the author and the finisher, faith is the central thing. So, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? (coughs) Have you ever wondered that? Or pondered that? or, Or thought about it? Now, Jesus was joyful when he was on earth. You know, he was accused of being too joyful. If Jesus were in some of our churches, he'd be accused of being too joyful. I mean, come on, you've been in some of those meetings. I'm blessed. Yeah, you look like it, brother. (laughs) But Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of being too filled with joy. You're too mirthy. I don't remember what the exact words were, but was accused of being too mirthy. He was filled with joy. We picture Jesus as being meek and mild, like with his, holder, with his shoulders hung low and walking around quietly and somberly all the time. But Jesus was filled with joy. Amen. Jesus experienced the whole gamut of human emotion. Yes, Jesus experienced sorrow. He was the man of sorrows. But had he not experienced joy, had he not experienced happiness, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't know the totality of the human experience. Yes, Jesus wept, but he also laughed. So what was the joy of Jesus? What was the source of Jesus' joy? And how do we have joy in Jesus? See, my contention today is that Jesus' joy was his communion with the Father. His sorrow, as a man of sorrows, yes, his body suffered. But I still tend to think that even in the garden when he prayed so hard that his Tears became drops of blood. I don't think the Lord was suffering from the thought of what would happen to his body. But rather that he was seeing the separation that would come. That communion with Almighty God, his Father, would be broken for the first time ever in eternity. From before the foundation of the world, that fellowship would be broken for the first time as the the sin of mankind was laid upon his shoulders. The joy of Jesus was in that communion, in that fellowship. The joy of Jesus was being able to call him Father. See, when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, and and this was revolutionary, we 
We have known it for so long that we don't see it as revolutionary. But Jesus taught them something revolutionary from the first words of his prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Say, our Father. They had never called him Father. There are still some that don't. Jehovah's Witnesses, they still say that true worship must use the name of God, Jehovah. That's why they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And they think they're being more pure in that. Well, I'd like to take them back to the ancient Jewish worship in which the name Jehovah was too holy to be uttered. So now think of that. Jesus is in a culture where the name of God is too holy to be uttered. And it can't even be written down. So they use just the consonants. In, in the English transliter- transliteration, you'll see Y-W-H-W, I think. And it's supposed to be Yahweh. It leaves out the vowels because the name is too holy. You can't even write it down in its fullest. God is that holy, that unapproachable to the ancient Jews. And then Jesus comes along and says, when you pray, call him dad. When you pray to this being with unapproachable holiness, who you're not worthy to come to, when you approach the unapproachable, approach him familiarly and call him daddy. That's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of a fellowship Jesus had with God the Father. And that was his joy. And so the joy that is set before him, the joy that was set before him was, yes, Jesus knew he was going to suffer, but he also knew what was coming. He knew that the separation wouldn't last forever. He knew that he would bear the scorn of men. He would bear the mockery. And yes, he would bear their sin. And he would bear separation for a time. But then, not only would communion be restored, but he would be back in heaven, seated to the right hand of his Father. And the joy that set before him was not only communion and relationship, but was the presence of God Almighty. And so, for the joy that was set before him, For the joy that he could see in the future. It wasn't materialized yet. See, that's the thing with faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And hope in Scripture is not like, boy, I hope it rains tomorrow, which none of us do. I think we were kind of done. But you know, we'll say, I hope it rains tomorrow, or I hope I win the lottery, or I hope this, or I hope somebody wins the Super Bowl. It's just what we wish for. Hope in Scripture is the certainty of, of an expected end. Hope is something that is going to happen. And faith is the substance. Faith is the reality within our lives of that hope, that expected end. And it's the evidence of things not seen. 
Jesus, as the author and the finisher of faith, had all the faith that was needed. He had not seen yet in human form. You know, he was human. He had not seen himself at the right hand of the Father, but he knew it was coming. He had the evidence of things he hadn't seen. He realized the substance of things that he hoped for. And because of that, this joy was set before him. And seeing this, seeing the end result, seeing that hope, he was filled with joy and went to that, choosing to endure whatever he had to endure along the way to get there. And so now my question today is, what about the joy that is set before us? Because all of chapter 11, as I said, it, it's, not to, it's not to place the people mentioned in that hall of faith as role models for us to live up to, but as, rather as witnesses and testimonies of the power of the faith that the Lord can provide. And then the ultimate testimony of that faith is Jesus Christ himself, who patiently, with endurance ran the race that was set before him, looking to the joy that was set before him and endured whatever he had to endure. So what is the joy that is set before us? And why am I changing the pronoun? You know, the, the scripture talks about the joy that was set before him, talking about the Lord. But what about the joy that is set before us? And I want to remind you that in John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. I won't go and read that entire scripture. (laughs) But he tells them, abide in my love even as I abide in my Father's love. If ye keep my commandments, you abide in my love even as I abide in my Father's love. And he said, these things I tell you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. Or your joy may be perfect or complete. For those of us who have been marvelously saved by grace, I don't even want to say saved by grace, that we've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace through faith, but we've been saved by Jesus Christ. So for those of us who have been saved, for those of us who the Lord has deigned to save, we have the same joy within us. We have the same joy that the Lord had. We, the same joy that was set before the Lord Jesus Christ is the joy that is set before us. And why is this important today? Is anyone here tired? Is anyone here weary? And I don't mean because you didn't get enough sleep last night. I mean, do you look at the headlines and get weary? We hear of things like what happened in Florida. And our hearts break for the families. But then we also mourn and say, what kind of world are we living in where even our children can't be safe? 
we see that a major news network has a show that openly mocks our vice president for his, for his Christian faith. Now, I don't know Vice President Pence personally. I can't judge his soul. But I know that he didn't shy away. But most of us remember a time not too long ago when someone would have been uh, unceremonially, unceremoniously released mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> not only because it's rude and offensive, but because the name of Jesus Christ was sacrosanct, right. even in our society. So what is the world coming to when we read these headlines day after day? We read about the corruption in the government that just seems to go on without end. Every day there's some new violence. And then we look in our own communities and we see the same kind of um, corruption, violence on our streets, drug issues, sin run rampant in our communities. And then we even look in our churches and we see that sin runs rampant in our churches. And we see that we don't seem to be growing. We don't seem to be having the same impact on the world that that the 12 disciples did or even that our church did two generations ago. Is anyone weary? Is anyone tired? Is anyone looking out at all that you see and thinking, Oh Lord, how long? If you're not, why not? Because that's kind of a human response. But the reason this is on my heart today is because things don't go as planned. Our our culture is in an upheaval. And we see all of this that makes us tired. And then maybe things in our own lives don't go the way we thought they would. Because we also have a religious culture. I say religious, not Christian. Because we have wolves in sheep's clothing pretending to be preachers of the gospel that is no gospel. That promise peace and prosperity to all those who believe. And if you have enough faith, If you have enough faith, then the Lord will deliver you from anything. And you'll have no problems. If you just follow and obey the Lord, the whole path will be roses. Right? How many of us have heard that? And we hear some of these preachers on television dressed in their Armani suits, you know, clearly the pictures of success. And for those of us who, for those in the world who are not as enlightened, we see that and think, oh, well, he must be speaking truth. I mean, look how well he's done. And it also tickles our ears because then we think, well, well, I can believe. I can believe. I can drum up faith like Abraham and Isaac, and these same preachers will take Hebrews 11 
and say, be like them. Be like the people. But even, even we, when it so surrounds us, our minds can start to be polluted with that. And we can start to buy in ever so slightly. Maybe not that we will sow our seed of faith, in quotes, and expect to receive tenfold back. But maybe we hear a, a call from the Lord to change jobs. Or to relocate somewhere. And we feel really good about it because we know this is from the Lord. So we're going to do this and we know that it's going to be all right. And then we make that change and maybe the new job is worse or harder or harder on our families. Or maybe it makes the finances tighter than where we were. And you think, Lord, I followed, I obeyed. What's the deal? Or maybe, maybe you relocate and after you get there, same thing. Circumstances don't ease up. It gets harder. And somewhere in our mind, because we bought into the lies that we're hearing from the religious culture, we have allowed ourselves to think that if we follow the Lord, then everything will be roses. That life will be easy. I want to remind us that the people that did great things in Hebrews chapter 11, they're not the centerpiece of the story. Faith is. And as great, as many great things as we look back and see that these people accomplished, I want to remind us to read the rest of the chapter. After people stop being named by name, we see that none of them None of them received the promise. But they saw it afar off. And after names stopped being named, then we see the dark part of things. The heroes of the faith, they accomplished wonderful things but also named in the chapter. Also named in the chapter are others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment And others were stoned. Others were sawn asunder. Others were tempted. Others were slain with the sword. Others wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Others were destitute, afflicted, tormented. Others for whom the world was not worthy. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith... Received not the promise. But they all saw it afar off. 
They ran their race with endurance. They ran the race that was set before them patiently, looking toward the joy that was set before them. Now, it's also worded a different way, looking unto Jesus. See, we have the same joy as Jesus, the presence of God, communion with God. But Jesus and God are one. So we look unto Jesus and we realize that Jesus is our joy. Our joy is not found in the worldly things, in the worldly comforts, in the worldly successes. And that, that's a hard thing in the culture that we live in. And we have to be reminded to pursue after Jesus, to look unto that joy that is set before us. Because Moses, in chapter 11, we see that Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, there is pleasure in sin. Now, a lot of times when we use that phrase, we, we think of sin like, you know, going out and getting drunk and having a great time. And those of us who, by grace, have been either delivered from that or kept from it altogether, we don't see what's so fun about that. Where's the pleasure in that? I had that chapter in my life, and I don't know for the life of me what was so fun about it. But those are not the pleasures of sin that we're talking about. See, Moses, when he was in Pharaoh's court, Moses lived a life of luxury. He had people serving him. He could say go and they would go. He could say do and they would do. He had unlimited resources. Had Pharaoh's court run out of money, they'd just tax the people some more. There is pleasure in self-sufficiency. There is pleasure in control. There is pleasure, to a degree, in being able to say, look what I did. Or, or look what I can do. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And they'll regularly meet me at home and just say, hey, Daddy, look what I can do. And then, and then they do something like hop on one foot. And it's, it's a simple thing. And those of you who have kids, you've seen that before, right? Just the simplest things they're so proud of. Look what I can do. But as we get older, as we get more grown up, we may not say the words. But we take a lot of pride in the things that we accomplish in our own strength and in our own might. And in a way, we kind of thumb our nose at God and say, look what I can do. That's sin. Sin isn't about the bad things, the things that we label as bad, like, well, drinking, that's sin. No, finding pleasure your own way is what's sin. Going your own way is what is sin. A false sense of self-sufficiency is sin. What made Moses great 
was not that he was strong enough in and of himself to eschew that, to do something good for the Hebrews. And we have a lot of do-gooders that want to do that. They'll, they'll give away everything so that they can do something for someone, but their reward is in that they did something for someone. But that wasn't Moses' intention. He wasn't strong enough in and of himself. Rather, rather, he chose affliction with the Hebrews over the pleasures of sin. We're all like Moses to some degree. Because we've been bought with a price. If we've been saved... We've been bought with a price, and yet we still live in a world that is like Pharaoh's court. Very worldly, very self-sufficient. The world is at our fingertips, right? And we have the power, we have the authority, because God has given us free agency. We can choose to go our own way and make our own future, make our own fortunes. We can continue to live in Pharaoh's court. Or we can choose like Moses, who knew he was a Hebrew. He knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew he was God's, one of God's people living in Pharaoh's court. And rather than choose the pleasures of sin, he chose the affliction of the Israelites. Why? Because he wanted to do good? No. Because he had a revelation from the Lord. And he could see from afar off what was coming. I mean, this was all before he even met at the burning bush. And I I use that instance because Moses had no idea when he left Pharaoh's court that he was going to be a prefiguration of Christ. He had no idea that he was going to be a picture of the deliverer that would come to lead people out of bondage. He just knew he didn't belong. And he knew that God was worth more than all the riches that Egypt had to offer. We're told when we we're told in verse fifteen of chapter eleven when we're talking about Abraham and Sarah and others. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Have you ever had an opportunity to be mindful of the country from which you came? So I'm, I'm glad we sang that song, Some Call It Home. And the brother said, this world is not my home. We seek a better country. But when things get hard, when things are difficult, and I'm thinking more in terms of your personal lives. I mentioned some of the 
the world politics and, and the world violence that are going on. And those are the things that make us want to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we look more forward to that home. But when things don't, excuse me, when things in your life don't go exactly the way maybe you had thought or planned or that you thought God would do, do you ever get tempted to look back and say, well, if I did it my way, it'd be different. We can get tempted to return. We can be tempted to return to Pharaoh's country, to Pharaoh's court. We can be tempted to stay in Pharaoh's court. While there might be pleasure in sin, there's no joy in it. The pleasure is temporal. When the world is burned up, the pleasure will be gone too. That pleasure fades. That joy fades. But the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus Christ was an eternal and everlasting joy. And that is the same joy that he gives us. We tend to, and it's a kind of a human mindset, we're going to have obstacles in our life. And if we're not careful, when an obstacle is very large, we'll fixate on that obstacle. We might be going through life looking toward Jesus, looking toward that joy that is set before us, and then a large mountain comes in the pathway, and our eyes drop to the mountain. And we'll say, if I can just get over the mountain, what will it take me to get over the mountain? And the other side of the mountain becomes the destination. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, on the other side of that mountain is another mountain. And then another mountain. And then when the mountains run out, there'll be valleys. And then when the valleys run out, there'll be other obstacles. If you keep your eyes from obstacle to obstacle to obstacle, if you ever even get over them, there's just going to be another one. But if we can pray to the Lord to have more faith. He is the author of faith. Which means he has an abundant and eternal supply to give out. Because if he thought he might run out, he can just write some more. He's the author. When our faith runs short. Let's pray for more that we may be able to keep our eyes on him. Because then the obstacles, they still keep coming. But you don't think of them as so large. Because instead of, how do I get over this mountain and when I'm done, I'm tired. It's, how do I get there? How do I get to Jesus? Let me do whatever I have to do to get to Jesus. Now, will everything we do be perfect? No, even Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham is called righteous because he believed God. God told him to go and he went. He had his eyes on the prize. On the way, there was an obstacle. There was Egypt. And what did he do? He did whatever he felt he had to do to get to the prize. 
I'm not condoning or saying it was right, and the Lord didn't condone it. But you don't see anywhere after that story the fact that Abraham lied about who his wife was to protect himself. In the New Testament, you don't see him being called out for that. You don't see him being rebuked or reprimanded or, or things like that. After that story, yes, God corrected it, but God knew the intents of his heart. And so that's not his legacy. His faithfulness to do whatever it takes to follow that goal, to get to the joy that is set before him. That's his legacy. Because he moved by faith. He made imperfect decisions along the way. And we will too. But what's our goal? That will be our legacy. That will be our testimony. That's what chapter 11 is. It's a testimony. Not that these people are so great, be like them, but it's a testimony of the power of the faith that the Lord gives us. So if you're having trouble today, if you're having trouble these days, pray for more faith. Because, wherefore, seeing that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this great number of testimonies of the power of faith, then be faithful with what you have and run the race that is set before you. With endurance, don't give up. Don't run into a mountain and quit. Don't run into an obstacle and decide to go your own way. And then the ultimate end of the story is be like Jesus. Consider Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Because we're reminded then a few verses later that no matter how hard this life gets, we have not yet resisted unto blood. Are you here today? Then you have not yet been killed for your faith. So you still haven't gone as far as Jesus. Or as far as some of the others. Keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is our joy. For the joy that is set before us, let us run the race looking to Jesus. Things won't always be easy. You know, I said before that there are more that are not named in chapter 11. They're just named others. You and I are others. If you've been saved, you're included in others. Our end may be like some of these tragic ends here. We don't know. Or our end may just be that and others finally did receive the promise. See, chapter 11, these were all people before Jesus, looking ahead to Jesus. They saw him from afar off. Moses saw the great deliverer coming from afar off. Abraham saw all the nations of the world being blessed through his lineage coming afar off. Noah saw 
the world being saved by the ark that would be Jesus coming afar off. Enoch saw Jesus coming. They saw it afar off, but they didn't receive the promise. We have received the promise. We may be others, but we are different from the others. Because through Jesus, we already have that joy. We have fellowship. We have communion. Now one day through Jesus, we'll have the ultimate salvation of our souls. And and like Jesus, we will have the presence of God. And if we can think on that, then we we can renew our strength. Why? Because Jesus is our joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength, to go back to Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we look toward Jesus, when we look toward the joy, we'll have the strength to keep running the race, no matter how tired we get. Now, I don't know, I don't know if this strikes the heart of any of you where you are today or not. Or, or maybe it's just a general encouragement. But I know this, if there are any here who aren't saved today, perhaps you're content in the pleasures of sin for now. Or perhaps hearing this today, you've thought to yourself, yeah, it's, it's temporal, but it's not deep-seated, it's not lasting. Perhaps you long for joy, true joy. You can find it. Seek the Lord. Amen. And for those of us today who are saved, and we've known that joy, but the struggles of life have gotten real. And it's made life difficult. And maybe we've lost sight of the joy. Seek the Lord. Mm-hmm. Seeking the Lord isn't just for the lost. Right. It's for all of us every day. Yeah. Seek the Lord so that he may be found. Yeah. And find that communion, that fellowship, that friendship. And you'll find joy. That's the joy that is set before us. Let's run our race.